known as the food professor, as well as Dr. Sylvain Charlebois, and, and you speak on, I guess, all things food. Th thank you very much for joining us today, uh, Mr. Charlebois. Well, thank you for the invitation. Happy New Year to you. Yes, and, and to yourself. Uh, you know, as far as, I guess, your specialty, your, your trade and talking about food, food security, food prices, supply chains, I mean, you really cover it all. 2024 was really a year when you, or 2023, where, where you, your, your specialty really came into the news a lot. People got very concerned about food inflation. Uh, you know, we're, we're, the wallets are getting thinner. Food is a necessity for people. People were getting upset. But then there was a lot of, well, as, as is normal, a lot of politics started getting played. And... Uh, a lot of fingers were getting pointed and, and I, I found your voice to be good for correcting the record a lot and just kind of putting an unvarnished uh, view on that. Like, I guess I'll start with a simple question. Have Canadians been getting gouged by, by food retailers in the last year? Uh, I mean, it's, it's, it, it depends how you defaulting. I mean, for some economists, uh, allowing companies to make $1 is, is too much. And so I've always asked, uh, some of the experts out there and politicians, uh, well, if uh, right now companies are making too much money, how much is too much? And we've never gotten a clear answer to that. My answer to you clearly, uh, Corey, when you look at the evidence, when you actually look at verified, audited um, financial reports coming from companies, there is no evidence of gouging. If you look at gross margins, which to me is probably the most important metric. It's you look at revenues, you look at the cost of goods. If that changes uh, due to inflation, you'll notice. I mean, you'll notice. And uh, and for the big three, Empire Sobeys, Loblaws and Metro, all three gross margins have not changed in five years. And so that's why it's difficult to say well, there's gouging going on. However, and this is a big however, margins are actually quite high compared to the U.S. Uh, they're double what they are in the U.S. And we've seen some uh, some shortfalls in Ottawa with uh, with the bread price fixing scandal, for example. The investigation began on going on for eight years. So I can't um, I can't blame Canadians for 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 being upset about what's going on. I, I actually totally understand why they're upset because they, they feel unprotected. But as far as gouging goes, just the evidence is just not there. Yeah, well, and that's what I appreciate is you don't give a full pass to the heads of these grocers as well and such. There's been some sort of controversy over the proposed uh, code of conduct and Galen Weston and some of the, you corrected him on some of the things uh, uh, he's been claiming as he's sort of uh, trying to squirm to avoid that code of conduct. I mean, he's, he's, he's not a, a monster, but he's not an altruist or, or uh, you know, a charitable person either. Oh, he's he's not there to make lunch. money. Of yeah. course, he runs a, he runs a, a very well managed company. By the way, uh, in fact, I would say that all three main grocers are well managed, and, and that's why they've been successful in pushing away competition like Target, uh, and uh, which came in uh, and left in 2014 as quickly. And and you we have seen Aldi and Little. Uh, both companies are are now in the U.S. They've 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 looked at Canada. It's just not recent. They've been looking at Canada for quite some time, but it's difficult to get in to the Canadian market for two reasons. One, it's it's not an attractive market, especially when you see a federal government constantly um, inviting CEOs back to Ottawa and, and question them about profiteering. I I don't think that's an appealing strategy for for any for any company looking into 
to Canada. The other issue, of course, is is the fact that really uh, the Canadian market is dominated by two players. They dictate the rules. If you understand how food distribution works in Canada, you quickly understand that both Walmart and Loblaws will make and break companies. They have too much power. Uh, and, and that's kind of what Australia had prior to adopting the code uh, and the UK as well. And since then, you, we've seen food prices become much more stable over time. You don't eliminate inflation. Of course, you want inflation. You want food prices to increase over time. But in both uh, Australia and the UK, food prices have actually been quite quite stable compared to Canada. And that's probably due to the code. So that code of conduct, what we're talking about, that's an industry-managed uh, code and, and sort of thing, more of an industry association, not a government-invoked uh, legislation. That's a, that's a good question, Corey. It's a fair question because a lot of people, I notice that a lot of people are, th are thinking, well, the code is really about the government tweaking market conditions. That's not exactly it. It has nothing to do with prices. As Galen Weston alluded in Ottawa, wrongly so, uh, it is more about uh, contractual terms. You see, what's different in the food industry is that you have to pay your customer in order to do business with that customer. So Loblaws will receive five, six million dollars from PepsiCo uh, to allow Pepsi to sell Lay's chips. Just one example. And every year, Loblaws will change terms. We'll say this year we'll increase your fee by this much. No questions asked, no discussions, unilaterally. And that has bothered suppliers. And that's why it's not a coincidence that we saw Nestle leave the cane market. Kleenex just left the cane market. We'll see more companies leave the cane market because, again, uh, Loblaws will set rules, Walmart as well, and others will follow along. So it's it, unlike the U.S. or other places, it's just tough. It's much tougher to offer consumers more choices. And with more choices, you'll, you'll get more competition, which is why the code of conduct is so critical to support independent grocers and suppliers as well. Yeah, people forget that the competition aspect isn't just a benefit to the consumer. When you get suppliers, when they can really push suppliers around like that with a limited options for the suppliers to go to, it harms them. Uh, but I mean, we, we don't want to go down the road, say, if, it almost reminds me, though, of the old days of Microsoft when it really dominated the market. And they used to push every other software company into a corner and say, you know, if you're going to be carried by the Microsoft platforms, we got to cut a deal or, or we just won't carry you. And of course, there really were only three platforms uh, to be had. So they, they held a lot of power. And I think it took antitrust hearings to break that down. Now, the grocery market shouldn't be as complicated, but I guess that's the sort of thing. We can't just force competition to come into the country, but the code of conduct might reduce the amount they're pushing around the suppliers a bit. It would correct some of the mistakes that we made in the past. Uh, my 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 reading uh, of of the situation right now is that they 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 were three major transactions that really allowed this oligopoly to emerge. Uh, in 1998, Law bought Provigo in Quebec. That's number one. Number two, Metro bought AMP in Ontario. That created the other grocer. And lastly, in 2013. Uh, Empire Sobeys bought Safeway out west. That created those three big players. And of course, along the way, we saw non-traditionals like Costco, Walmart, 
uh, become quite successful in selling food to Canadians. And that's why we, we're in a situation we are in. In the U.S., they don't really need a code. Why? Because all Washington is all over some of these mergers. For example, right now, Kroger is trying to buy Albertsons. So number two is trying to buy number four in the U.S. And they, they're blocking the deal because they don't feel that the deal would be in the best interest of, of, of Americans right now. So those two companies are under tremendous pressure. When, when, when Loblaw bought Provigo or Metro bought AMP or even Sobeys, when it acquired Safeway, we barely heard anything in the news. Nobody cared. And that's why we're in trouble right now. So uh, part of the problem, I mean, there, there's advantages, though it, it's bad for competition. There's advantages of having a few large players because those large economies of scale can allow them to keep the consumer prices somewhat low as well in a relative way. Like if you break it up into too many small players, we could end up paying more as well. Exactly. And, and here's the thing about Canada. So we're only 40 million people in one of the largest countries and well, the second largest country in the world. Distribution costs are really, really high. So you have a lot of small towns uh, where you are uh, in, in Alberta and elsewhere where you only have one option. Uh, left to buy food because of, uh, of of the consolidation that we've seen over the years. So a lot of Canadians are actually uh, being held hostage as a result of these acquisitions without really having a say. And and so Washington right now is very careful. They'll be looking at at transactions in a very granular way. So they'll look at New Haven, Connecticut, how many stores will they lose uh, compared to before and things like that. In Canada, we only look at uh, the national uh, landscape and see whether or not Canadians win. But I, I've always argued to Minister Champagne himself, whenever there's a transaction coming in, we need to actually look at uh, all aspects of the deal. And we've actually had the privilege to work with the Competition Bureau in three occasions of the last five years. And you can tell that they're not well tooled to assess longitudinal risks, understanding how a transaction could impact um, our food distribution landscape over time. And now we're paying for that. So uh, something that really broke a lot of trust, even if it was, you know, I mean, the average consumer didn't feel it a lot, but it's the principle of the matter. You mentioned it earlier was the, the bread price fixing uh, issue. We, we heard a lot about it. Uh, people don't like to think that they're being manipulated, I guess, with what they purchase, even if it only adds up to a little it, bit. It costs a billion dollars to Canadians. Like that's real money. That's a lot I of mean, money when it's added it, up. It's yeah. a lot of money. And uh, frankly, when you look at the U.S., for example, there's one executive that we got caught uh, fixing prices for canned tuna. That person is in jail right now and paid a fine, I believe, of over $100,000, okay? In tuna, canned tuna. In Canada, we gave a pass to Galen Weston and Loblaw. We gave immunity to Loblaw and, and Western bakeries. And so that really became a problem of trust. And so... Really, right now, what we need to do is focus more on, uh, well, how Canadians feel and how we can protect them. So I guess uh, another issue we have that's a little different, but it affects a lot of grocery staples, and I've heard you mention it occasionally, is supply management, which covers our, our poultry, our dairy <laughs> products. Uh, I just thought I'd yeah. throw that in towards Our the favorite end. topic. 
Yeah. <laughs> uh, because, I mean, it's not a panacea to, to reduce grocery prices or anything, but it's funny when Canadians say they're upset about monopolies, they, they seem to constantly overlook one of the worst monopolies of them all, and, and that's the producers of those products right now. But there's no indication anybody's going to change that anytime soon, I imagine. Canadians have a, a very bizarre relationship with uh, with with concepts like monopolies and oligopolies. So uh, on the one side, Canadians want uh, government to intervene. They want to be protected. They want monopolies uh, uh, until pricing becomes an issue. And uh, and so in the case of supply management, uh, you're so first of all you're looking at Farmgate. Uh, issues, farmers, and farmers are incredibly trusted by the Canadian public. But at the same time, a lot of Canadians actually don't realize how supply management is inflating prices at retail. It is, no matter what you you say, no matter what the dairy farmers are saying, or poultry farmers, or chicken farmers, it, it is pushing food prices higher. Okay. Now, is that something we can get rid of? Uh, I've been studying marketing boards for 25 years, and uh, my, my conclusion is that as much as we hate supply management, we can't get rid of it. Uh, it's just unlike the, the Europe uh, where I was in 2015 when they ended supply management, a lot of farmers wanted out because they were levies, and the system actually did cost a lot of money to farmers. In Canada, good luck finding one farmer who's against the system. All of them really support the system. So I've always argued instead of abolishing quotas, let's make sure that we actually make supply management more efficient and more competitive because right now it is not competitive. Uh, in fact, marketing boards are doing everything they can to suppress competition without consumers knowing. Yeah, and I don't expect it to change soon. That's part of what I asked. I, I cornered uh, Mr. Uh, Pierre Polyev on the show one time and asked him with that one as well. I don't think he likes going there, but uh, he at least was honest and said, no, it's not an area that they're looking to, to change or get rid of it. This they, he can't afford it. Yeah. Politicians just can't afford it because they're, they're so powerful. Uh, I've always argued instead of sending out checks uh, in compensation for trade deals we're signing all over the world, we should take that money and buy some farmers out as soon as possible because some farmers actually do want to compete, but some of them don't. They just don't want to compete. And so I would keep the great, the very competitive, efficient farmers and grow their business with exports as well and create a new set of quotas and new categories, which is actually in our supply management 2.0 plan, which we released, I believe it was two years ago now with the University of Guelph. It's all in the plan. And all you need to do is basically uh, eliminate farmers who don't want to compete and build a system which allows uh, which allows the, the sector to grow even more. Because right now we're on the path of, of seeing more farms disappear. We're, we're going to get down to 5,000 dairy farms by 2030. And the Cane Dairy Commission will continue to rubber stamp uh, decisions that are supported by dairy farmers instead of looking at competitiveness overall. Okay, well, we'll see what happens. I appreciate you've done a lot of work on it. Um, before I let you go, then, uh, perhaps if you could just give a bit of a prediction on what consumers can look forward to in 2024 with uh, grocery prices and, and where can we find information on where your work is? Yeah, absolutely. So, yes, they they should be looking forward to 2024 compared to 20. 
23, I mean, 2023 was, was tough. Uh, we were asked to spend more money on shelter, uh, the other necessity of life. And so when we show up at the grocery store, we were spending less despite inflation. It's not going to happen in 2024. In fact, we actually are expecting some price wars at the center of the store, probably midway through 2024. Things are tightening up in, in the economy, and, and that's going to benefit consumers overall. Uh, so that's my reading, my very quick reading of what, what is about to happen in 2024. So all good news, well, better news, I guess, for consumers overall. As far as our work goes, you can just uh, look up all of our reports. Uh, they're available on our website. You can just go on the uh, Dalhousie University website, the Agri-Food Analytics Lab, and you'll find all of our reports, and they're available for free in both English and French. Excellent. Well, I appreciate again the work you do, and and you're you're being able to come on to talk to us today. And again, it sounds you know at least a bit optimistic. Things optimistic that things have stabilized a little into the next year. We've had some crazy years, and uh, well, food's oh, yeah. there's, no, there's no getting around it. The, so. the one the one thing that really concerns us right now is the uh, is what's happening in Israel. Uh, if 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 the conflict broadens, and it may it may happen, that could actually uh, that could uh, affect food prices worldwide, not just in Canada, worldwide, due to uh, the regions linked to to oil specifically, and so that's something that we're watching very closely. Because in 2008, that's exactly what happened: oil went up, and everything else went up as well. And so we don't want that in 2024. No, that yeah, there's a lot that's beyond our control, and all we can do is watch for it and uh, you know, just hope for some sort of easing of the conflict over there. Yeah, absolutely. So, all right. Well, thank you very much again. And, and uh, also uh, on X, you're very uh, prolific on there. Uh, so I just encourage folks to look you up. And uh, well, I hope we get to talk again soon. Thank you for inviting me, Corey. You can become a Western Standard member for just $10 a month or $99 a year for unlimited access.